All right, let's do this. How are you, what the fuckers? What the fuck, buddies? What the fuck, Nicks? What's happening? I'm Mark Marin. This is my podcast, WTF. Welcome to it. Come on, get in it. Get in the fucking present. Let's do it. Let's be here. Be here now. Whatever, the etern- whatever, uh, Eckhart Tolle, this, this is it. I'm living this second, this second, this second. I'm in the now. Now I'm not. Now it's, ugh. Now. It's true though, man. Hey, all you got is this moment, right? And then the one after it, and then the shitty one after that, and then like, uh-oh, what about seven moments from now? That's going to be trouble. But see, that, that way of thinking's not correct. Stay in the moment. Fine. What's happening, people? Today, I uh, Ice-T is on the show today. That was something. I was very, I, I, got, I made myself very crazy about that, about interviewing Ice-T, because he's fucking Ice-T. Doesn't he seem intimidating to you? Doesn't he seem like when you picture Ice-T, like, all right, he's Ice-T, but that might be an intense, intimidating guy to talk to. And I made myself fucking crazy for two days. Listen to the new Body Count record, some of his other older records. Dug in a little bit. Yeah, I was surprised. I'd forgotten. Wasn't surprised. I'd forgotten, you know, that there were a couple of Icy albums that I listened to the fuck out of when I was a younger man. Certainly that first uh, Body Count record and then that Freedom of Speech record because I was going through this stuff and I'm like, I, not only did I have this record, I listened to it sort of constantly for a while. Both of those records. But I also had this weird experience where I never met him before, but we 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 shared some space together, Ice T and I, back in the '90s, the mid '90s. I think it was like '96, '97. I was on a trip to Spain with my first wife. Um, on a, uh, it was a a honeymoon that we had put off, and we were in, uh, I think we were in Barcelona, Spain, at an aquarium. And um, Ice-T was there with his, I guess, uh, his wife and a daughter, a young, young kid. And they were walking through the aquarium uh, in front of me and Kim. And I told the story about this on uh, Conan O'Brien on December 10th, 1997. So it must have happened shortly before that, you know, within a year or two. I can't track things. But I'll share that. I'll share my telling of that story about being at the aquarium, walking behind Ice-T and his family because I wanted to. This was uh, that Conan O'Brien appearance. I'm walking behind Ice-T and we're going through the exhibits, okay? Mm-hmm. And for some reason at each tank, he would read the description. Of right. the tank. And I guess the moral of this story, once I get into it, is that it's not what you say, it's how you say it. Right. Because I'd be standing right behind him and he'd be reading it and he'd go, Coastal Marsh Community. <laughs> And I, I don't know, just the way he said community, I'm looking in the tank for social injustice. You know what I mean? Like, you know, oh, the mackerel are keeping the guppies down, man. You know? And then, uh-huh. and then like, the next tank, we're yeah. there at the next tank, and I'm dying. I think it's the greatest thing in the world. Right? He goes, look at that big-ass crab. <laughs> so we move from social injustice to, oh, just an observation. The guy that I would want to hear narrate, like oh, that, everything, your way through everything, the museum. Just a menu, you know, corned beef and eggs, please. <laughs> yeah, coastal marsh community. 
<laughs> I'll bring that up to ice when I talk to him in a few minutes. So, it, you know, the, the, the bottom line is, the point I guess I'm trying to make is that uh, after all my insanity, after all my uh, flailing insecurity and fear, it was great. It was great to talk to him. He was up for it. And uh, I, I thoroughly enjoyed it, and I think he had a nice time too. So they had this piece in the New York Times on Saturday, an interview that I did with David Itzkoff, who just wanted to interview me about my relationship with Lynn. And they put that in the paper. I guess what really sort of interested him initially outside of you know our creative relationship was me experiencing and going through this grief publicly. It's a choice I made. And I've just been so, you, you know, the heavy heartedness about that and the sort of emotional roller coaster every day. But like I've been feeling physically ill for months, really. And every few weeks, I think it's COVID. And every once in a while, I feel like it's um, allergies. But now it's just gotten terrible. And I'm just every day I'm just queasy and the the weight of the fucking world, you know, and I, and, and it's not so much I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm fighting depression like everybody else is. I'm dealing with grief. But the truth of the matter is, is that, um, you know, even before Lynn died, I was getting up every morning wondering if my fucking cat was alive or what condition my cat was in. And that's ongoing. You know, this is still going on and it's just draining me. It's killing me. And he's very bad right now. And I just, you know, I know we've covered this before, but it's like it's it's going to happen. I didn't realize that's you know probably what's making me so physically, you know, outside of you know grief, pandemic stress, isolation, sadness, fear. Is that every day? Every day I wake up at five thirty, six in the morning, and wonder if my cat's alive, if today's the day. Every day. But I will tell you this: I still have had the energy, you know, to uh, to lose my shit at my father. I'm okay with him now, but I, you know, I did find time to call my dad a fucking dummy uh, for political views that were shallow and just sort of like his brain is some sort of recording device, and uh, it only records when the information connects to some sort of anger. And he's sitting at home. I don't know why. I don't know. I, there's nothing I can do to stop it. Watching not not uh, Fox News. He's watching the dumber, more propagandistic one, the One America News Network. Because he, I don't know, he thinks it's news, but someone's guiding him. He's surrounded with uh, Republican people and his new family. And I just lost my shit. It was, and it was. My dad was uh, what I thought to be an intelligent guy. Uh, you know, a sophisticated guy. Uh, uh, but not with politics. And it turns out maybe not with anything, you know, other than what his focus was, which was medicine at a time. So I thought we could engage around a little bit of a discussion uh, to get, get off of, you know, whatever his problems are, whatever my sadness is. And so I asked him as a doctor, you know, what he thought about this pandemic situation and how it's being handled. He says, well, clearly we've got to, we got to get back at China. And I'm like, what the fuck are you talking about? What about what we're dealing with? Well, I mean, it came from there. What what has that got to do? Lost my shit. Literally lost my shit. Call my father a fucking idiot. 
and uh, and I, you know, and 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 then I felt bad because you know he's old. Now, when Lynn was alive, and when I was more engaged and grounded and enjoying life before the pandemic, before the loss, you know, I, I had a certain amount of ability to sort of compartmentalize and manage, uh, you know, whatever I'd put on the back burner or let go of. But obviously, not totally. It's hard to let go of everything uh, about f- your parents. And, you know, on some level, I should be excited that they're still alive. And But uh, I don't know. But I felt bad about it. And I called him. It wasn't quite an apology. I think I said, I, I don't really care whether or not I talk to you at all. And, um, and he goes, well, I do. And I'm like, all right, well, let's try and figure this out then. And I said, I just want, I just, it's when you talk about that stuff in such a shallow way, in such a, you know, an unsourced way, you know, it'd be one thing if you had a political point of view, which you don't, because right after I hung up on him and called him a fucking idiot, he he, tech, he left a message. Look, I don't care. I don't care who, who wins. I don't give a shit. I don't really give a shit. I, you know, I don't give a shit about Pelosi and, you know, this Fauci biz. You know, it's like, so he's still reeling off these talking points that, that have recorded on the anger tape in his brain. But disconnected the things and telling and saying like I, I hope I hope Biden wins I don't give a shit. But I didn't call him back and now I finally called him back. I said, look, you know, when you talk like that, it's it's just it's embarrassing, and it makes me lose respect for you because it's it it's shallow and dumb, and it makes me angry that I have to sort of relive this embarrassment and this lack of respect and also to to find out that, you know, maybe in your old age or maybe always you just are not a sophisticated thinker. And now, look, I'm, I'm more than capable of indulging other opinions on some level. It's aggravating. It makes me angry. But, I mean, if I can see them track it back to, you know, a point of view, but he doesn't have one. Completely reactive. So I told him that and, you know, he got it. But, you know. We'll see. Maybe I'm too selfish, too. I don't know. But that's my story. Bill Burr came by the other day, sit and talk about the world, about life, about helicopters, about grief, about children. And uh, he ate some cake, thank God. You know, Bill's a pretty healthy guy. I didn't know how how it was going to go, but he ate the cake. Billy ate the cake. (laughs) Then I sent him the fucking recipe. It was nice. I, I hadn't seen Bill in a long time, not since before the pandemic probably. And, uh, you know, it was nice to sit down and catch up. All right. So listen, we got uh, we got uh, Ice-T coming up. His most recent album with Body Count is called Carnivore. It was released uh, back in March right as the pandemic hit. So he wasn't able to tour with it talk about that a little bit he also re-released a new studio edit of their 2017 song no lives matter in support of the anti-racism movement and uh this is me and ice tea coming up What's up? 
Hi, how's it going, man? What's up, boss? How you doing? I'm okay. You? Uh, you know, I'm I'm probably in the same state everybody else is, just chilling at home. Chilling at home and terrified? I'm just being careful, super cautious. Yeah, yeah. It gets scary because anything you do, you get home and you're like, oh fuck, what the fuck did I just do? (laughs) (laughs) You go outside for one second, some asshole walks by and you're like, oh god damn it. Well, you know what it is? I got I got like my quarantine team, like the people I'm used to being around. You know, my wife's sister, kids, those people. I'm comfortable with them, but when someone else enters our zone, I feel like they're an alien. I'm like, I don't know you. I don't know what you've been breathing, what pussy you've been eating. I don't know what you've been doing. Yeah, <laughs> I, exactly. I, I exactly. My mask on. Yeah, I mean, like I've been going. Yeah, so you're not going to the store or nothing. I try. I try to send my wife as much as possible. She you knows she's much younger than me. She doesn't mind wearing the mask and doing the whole thing. I I try to make essential runs you know yeah i do a lot of i, I do a lot of drive-throughs at the uh you know fast foods and stuff i do a lot of that stuff but i'm not really trying to catch it to be honest um i've had enough people i know close to me die and you know her my my uh coco's father just got out of the hospital after a month bout with it and uh, oh my god yeah he was a non-masker he's a um He's a guy that rides Harleys, shoots guns, and wouldn't put on a mask. And it got him and put him on his back. And now he has probably, uh, well, he has to be on oxygen now indefinitely. It it damaged his lungs to where his lungs won't operate. Oh, my God. Yeah. Well, let me ask you a question. Let me ask Mm -hmm. you a question about a guy like that in the sense that, like, now, does a guy like that, is he too proud to realize he was fucking stupid? Or, or, and is he going to like, because I see these cats who, you know, they, they're, they're against the mask. They say it's a scam. It ain't real. It ain't this. Then they get it. And then all of a sudden they just shut up where there's the teachable moment there where they yeah. can say, you know, I fucked up. This is real. You oh, know, no, he, to- he totally changed in the hospital. You know? <laughs> That'll do it. Right. You see God. He totally changed. He told everybody to wear a mask. He, he admitted he made a big, huge mistake. Because when he caught it, not only did he catch it, his son caught it and his two sisters caught it. Oh, and man. Uh, I talked to the I talked to the uh, nurses in the hospital he was in and they were like, you know, sooner or later they figured out who he was, you know, because yeah. we, we definitely went in there and tried to make, you know, at, at this point when people are getting close to die, you're trying to get every bit of juice you can. So I'm like, you know, this is my father-in-law. Next thing you know, he's on the news. I'm like, all right, well, now you're a priority patient. You don't, they're not going to want to let you die, right? Right, so, right. So I'm, I'm just trying to save his life. And the nurse, she told me, she said, uh, everybody in here, 90% of these people are non-believers until they're here. So she yeah. said, most of the people catching it are catching it just from negligence. No kidding. And you, and you wonder... You know, is that going to change their entire political point of view or just that the, the one thing around this thing, you know? Well, I mean, I I don't really know, you know. I, all I know is that it is a life-changing sure. situation. You know, anytime you say, hey, this can't happen to me and it happens to you, you got to be a real idiot to kind of try to keep riding it out, you know? So yeah. this almost, we're, there were, Three days in, they were calling us 
with that next to kin call. Like we want to make sure that we could put him on the ventilator if we need to. Right. And, and Coco was crying and it was, it was, it was pretty much like he was going to die. And, um, he lost, uh, he lost like 40 pounds. He's now real frail. And this was like a big, big husky dude, you know, like, but that's why I don't have a problem speaking on it because people look at me, they go, Ice T, you a tough guy, this, that, and the third. And I'm like, yeah, but this ain't nothing you could be tough against. Right. You know, your gangster can't help you with this. You know what yeah. I'm saying? Yeah. And one dude wrote me, he said, well, dude, you sound, like you said, you terrified, you sound scared. I said, well, dude, I'm scared of your, 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 your contaminated breath. That's what I'm afraid of, okay? So you want to call me scared because I can't whoop that ass. I don't, I don't, I, I, I'm, this is my point with Ice-T. I lived through so much shit. Yeah. I can't let this thing kill me, you know? When all I got to do is stay in the house and be yeah. where, and one of my boys, he had just came back from the penitentiary. He did 26 years, and named Spike, so I, I'm talking to him. I'm like, dude, how you doing on quarantine? He goes, quarantine ice. <laughs> I was in the hole for two years. Yeah. In the hole. He said, yeah. I got my wife here. I got Netflix. I got, you, I, I, man, you yeah. better get some perspective. Yeah. He doesn't have to go anywhere. He knows how to, to not go anywhere. Exactly. He says, you better sit your ass down. So <laughs> I, 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 I take, I take heed. Well, I think also it's this thing about being healthy or not being healthy is I don't think anybody really knows what they're made of inside genetically or whatever. You could be healthy as shit. And if your blood's a little fucked up or you got a little something in your heart, you don't know what this virus is going to hook up to and kill you, how it's going to do it. You you might not know you have any type of uh, right. existing, you know, thing. It, 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 my friend Scarface, who's a singer from Ghetto Boys, He's healthy. It took him down. He said, Ice, it felt like I had 300 pound weights on my chest and I coughed so much. It felt like I was coughing razor blades. Oh my God. And uh, it destroyed his kidney. He's on dialysis now. Oh my God. Like, younger cat. He's in, he's like, you know, late 40s, 50s. A dude on Law and Order that I work with daily died right out the gate. He was 45 years old, Dominican cat. You know, people are just stupid. I think. More people will start masking as more people know somebody personally. Exactly. Yeah, every no one's going to be untouched by this thing. They're going to know a guy whose dad or his brother or his uncle or their grandfather, whatever. Everyone's going to know somebody that yeah. went down. It's terrible. You know what I tell people and people ask me because, you know, I've been trying to be the voice of reason for so yeah. many years. I tell people like this. We're... No matter what, no matter your conspiracy theories, your 5G, where it came from, who made it, why it's here, uh, mind control, new world order, all that. <laughs> yeah. Illuminati. Illuminati. Yeah. The virus itself is real. Okay. Yeah. Now, I don't care where it came from. I don't care all of, but the virus itself is real real so fuck around with it if you want to right but it, it's and, and and i say we'll have years to figure out where it came from is it is it uh uh, uh fachi and, and, and bill gates conspiracy to no. sell us the i don't that, does that matter <laughs> look I was okay, i'm gonna go, i'm gonna go no on that one 
No, I don't <laughs> care. My my thing is, I was in the military, right? Yeah. People start shooting. The first thing you do is you take cover. Then you figure out where they're shooting from. Right. So right now we're in a take cover moment. You know, and also like speaking of that before, I, well, there's a couple of things. I the new album's great. I, I like the, I like the record. I like that song. Uh, uh, point the finger. Right. Thank you. I mean, because it's interesting to listen to the the nature of how you present issues has evolved and and you, you know even when you're talking angry there there there's a little more there's a little more balance and maturity in it do you know what i mean even on the song like uh, you know when i'm gone it seems like an angry song but you're basically saying love me now while i'm here yeah yeah well that that, that happened after i watched nipsey die another young LA rapper who actually basically kind of lived my life. He went to the same high school I went to. He came from the same neighborhood, yeah. you know, and he's the new generation. And when he died, they sold out the Staples Center in two hours for his memorial service. Yeah. I'm like, but would he sold it out two hours for a concert live? No. So why... What what are y'all doing? Like, why do you have to die for everybody to show up for you? You know, and yeah, yeah, you know, and, and Amy Lee came in on that song and killed it. Uh, I had no idea how Vince got Amy to do that song. Uh, my bass player had to connect. Uh -huh. And he goes, look who I got on this song. I'm like, that's not the Evanescence chick. And he's like, yeah. I'm like, <laughs> oh, and she killed it. Because yeah, it sounded said, great. She said she had went through somebody passing too early in her world yeah and so you know even though we're we're two different people we're both singing from the heart in that song and that's why it makes it work yeah it, it, you know it's got a lot of weight to it in terms of the rhythm and and the the nature of just you know metal in general but but there's a lot of heart and 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 sensitivity to the lyrics themselves it's beautiful well, man. it's difficult to do sincere songs when you're not sincere right <laughs> you yeah. know so yeah. if, if, if something happens to you like one of your boys dies or something you know i could write a heavy song about this virus right now because i've been through it you right. know but that's where I, they say some of the best art comes from pain so well, yeah, that's a, that's the that's the idea, and then you get people that are like, well, maybe I don't got enough pain in my life, and then they start to hurt themselves, and then you know you got to be talented too. <laughs> yeah, I, I haven't gone down that road. Like I'm trying to self inflict pain. <laughs> no, no, you don't need to. Here's I got a funny story for you because I actually we never met, but I told a story about you on Conan O'Brien. I'm a comedian, you know, so I did a I do I was on Conan back in. Uh, uh, December of 97, all right? And w the story was, I was in uh, Barcelona, Spain on a honeymoon. And uh, at, at some point, must have been earlier that year, and we went to the aquarium, me and this woman. And uh, you were at the aquarium in Barcelona, Spain, with one of the kids and, and uh, a wife, and you were, were just looking at the fish. Right. Do you remember? Does this make sense? Do you remember yes, doing it that? Makes, it makes absolute sense. So I'm walking behind you because you're reading off the you know the information cards and you're reacting right. to what's in the tank. And I was like, I, we got to follow this guy because this is the best tour I've ever been on. <laughs> <laughs> and you know what, though? When you travel, 
I was probably on tour. Yeah. I've never gone to any foreign country just to hang vacation. out. Yeah. I've always gone because I was on tour or something. And uh, if you don't take advantage of that trip and go see some sites, you know what I'm saying? You lose yeah, your mind. Course. So I was in, um, I'll tell you another funny story. I was in um, Ireland. I love North Ireland. Ireland. Love it. And I you like it? Zoo. It was cool. Yeah. See, I like every place I go because every place I go, I got a fan base. Right. So I I go from the hotel to people that love me. So it doesn't really, I don't, I go right from the hotel to a group of people that can't wait to see me. Yeah. So I'm always going to love like people like oh well it's fucked up there i'm like i'm not even there long enough to know i'm just yeah, I, i'm just there for the love and then i'm out i'm out <laughs> so we went to um a zoo yeah and um a fucking gorilla almost tried to kill me right like we were we were me and ernie c were looking at this gorilla and it was a big plexiglass thing and yeah. the gorilla was maybe say 40 feet away and the uh -huh. gorilla took one look at me. I might have been the first black person it saw. And it beat its chest. And it came and it rushed and it tried to hit the glass. Blam! I'm like, oh, my God, that glass wasn't there. That gorilla would just killed me. <laughs> so I almost died by gorilla in Ireland. <laughs> There's definitely not a lot of black people in Ireland. That I noticed. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know what? I mean, everywhere you go, everybody... You know, it, you're not there long enough to understand the politics. You're not there long enough to understand the bad stuff. Sure. And I never go to other countries and speak on their particular politics. Yeah. That's a, a sucker move to talk about them and then get on a plane and leave. So I relay it to our politics, and they usually can find the parallels of what's going on in their country to what's well, that's, going on. That's smart because, like, yeah, as soon as you just, even if you make a, a, a comment because you observe something without really knowing much about it, because you're an American, you're, they're going to they're gonna drag you through the press because you're the American that came in and made a comment. I did not know how serious the IRA was. Oh. I didn't, I, I heard <laughs> yeah. of it. So I'm over there and I make a comment about the IRA and a guy goes, don't say that, Ice. Don't say that. You can't say that. They'll arrest you. Like the IRA is a terrorist like situation. Like he goes, you don't know who the IRA is. It could be me. It could be the guy next to you. Uh -huh. I'm like, let me just shut the fuck up before I don't even, you know, I, like you say, I'm not as educated about it another another place we went we went to spain yeah and uh, do you know what the basque country is yeah yeah sure yeah that's a whole different type of people up there san sebastian it has that whole region the basque region yeah so we did a we booked a show and we didn't know we booked it with them mm. and we got off the airport and these dudes were like covered up and these dudes were like you know okay looking around and stuff we jumped in the in the truck we're on some off-road shit, and we end up out in the woods and stuff like that. And they're like, I'm like, so where's the promoter? They're like, oh, he got arrested last week. I'm like, yo, who are you? <laughs> who are you guys? And so we get on the stage. It's like this big tent, yeah. and we're playing, and they go, don't say Spain. I'm like, well, I'm in Spain. No, you're not in Spain, right? Wow. So like, oh, shit. Like, so... I've been I've been in some interesting events. Yeah, like, yeah, and you don't and you don't know what you're getting into sometimes till you get there. No one's briefing you. It's not like you travel with a with a uh, an advisor. 
You know, like they're going to give you the layout of the politics of the place. Yeah, yeah, you're going behind the lines and stuff. But they treated us good, too. We had a good time. And, like, then they dropped us off about a block away from the airport. Said, okay. (laughs) You're on your own? (laughs) (laughs) Make a run for it. (laughs) It's funny because I just, I was going through my shit. I'm trying to set up my office, and I I actually found a copy of that, uh, that Iceberg Swim book, the pimp book. And I gave it to, I lent it to somebody. Now I was thinking about it and I was looking, I was reading up on, on your stuff. And I, it's, you know, that book, I, I, I don't remember when I bought it. They had reissued the book, but why did that book have such an impact on you and some other rappers, the Iceberg Swim? Well, I actually named myself after Iceberg Swim. Sure. The ice part of Ice-T comes from Iceberg. When I was in high school, the coolest kids in the school were reading Iceberg Slims and Donald Goins books. Yeah. Those, those crime novels. Right. And they used to carry them in their pockets in the back of their 501 Geo jeans. A paperback could fit right in that pocket. And yeah. it was almost part of their dress code. They would wear the, I'm, I'm, so I'm watching, what, what are these books these players are carrying? Yeah. So I, I got into it. I don't know. It's like, to read an Iceberg Slim book is almost like reading music because right. of the lingo. Right. The, 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 if anyone's ever read it, the way they talk and the, the way it flowed, it wasn't like reading a normal novel. It had so much. And then me being in the hood, knowing about the Cadillacs, the pimps and the players and the hustlers. I mean, right. Enjoy, know, is that back in Jersey where? I was in L.A. at the time. Oh, okay. So I'm reading you... this dude. He's talking about a captain named Abel took us to the table. An hour was spent over cream dement. You know, I ate hummingbird hearts and other rare parts. I'm like, who talks like this? You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I'm like, this guy this is the coolest motherfucker. But the thing about Iceberg Slim books to me is he didn't just show the glamour of the game. He showed the pain. He was a drug addict. He was on heroin. Yeah. His mother would. And I initially wanted to live that life. You know, I wanted to be a pimp. I wanted to be in the streets hustling. But then one day I had an epiphany and I'm like, but wait a minute, this dude's a writer. Right. Like he's not just living the life, he wrote it. So if I want to really, if I'm like modeling my life after this guy, I can't just live the game. I have to document the game. And that's when my rap career took off because I didn't feel I could write books. Ice-T records are more like Iceberg Slim novels than hip-hop music. Like, it's not about dancing. It's not about, it's all about me breaking the game down or breaking the life down. So when I was in high school, I would go to school quoting Iceberg Slim. Yeah. And the girls would say, my name's Tracy, so I... That being a girl's name in the hood, you know, when you in the hood named Tracy, they go, that's a bitch name. So now you're in a fight with a dude you just met. <laughs> so they used to call me Trey, crazy, yeah. crazy Trey. Yeah. And then that turned into, say some more of that iceberg stuff, T. Yeah. That turned into iced tea. So iced tea has nothing to do with the drink. It means iceberg tea. You know? Right. And that's <laughs> Well, that's a, that's a really interesting idea that, you, you know, to know the difference at that age that, you know, what is because I think that's at the core of 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 a lot of stuff that 
that's that's happened is that you were savvy enough or sensitive enough to know like, well, he lived the life, but he also created this art. What I like about this guy is his language, is the way he puts things together, his ideas, his expression, right? He lived that life, but most of the time you don't survive that life, right? right. So if you're just going to live the life because this guy made it look so damn good, you know, the chances of you dying without saying nothing are high. But But to know that, you know, what he really did was he was an artist. Absolutely. That's what he that's what he did. The separation. We actually did a um a documentary on him. Um an IC documentary we did on Iceberg Slim. Portrait of a pimp. Portrait of a pimp, yeah. Mm. So if you watch that, if you if you have any interest in watch it, you're gonna find out his wife wrote the books. Oh, really? His wife wrote the books because he had got out of the game and he would come home and tell these mad stories about pimping and stuff. And his wife was like, that's outrageous. And so she got a pen out and he would just tell her the stories and she penned most of the books. So it's, it's very amazing. You know, it, it's the, the documentary's deep. Uh, did she do the rhyming? No, no. He actually has an album out. Okay. Uh, where Henry Rollins uh, 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 re-released it. Uh, and he's actually rhyming over over uh, tracks on it. It's, yeah. it's like rap. It's rap. He's saying all the... They call him Hustler Toast. And then Dolomite was sort of a rap guy, too, in a way. I met Dolomite. I met Blowfly. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, I met... I was fortunate enough to meet Red Fox. You uh. see, when I grew up, my parents had these these laugh records. Party records. Party records. Yeah. With Leroy and Skillet, uh, <laughs> all them. And it was always some woman with her titties out on the front cover. Yeah. And it was the wildest, you know, rowdy talking yeah. that you had ever heard. So when we came and I started doing rap and I was a little profane, people were like, oh, you're just the world. I'm like, you know, this is part of my culture. I grew up listening to this type of shit. Yeah. So, you know, what I did wasn't anything new, might be new to you. Oh, that's interesting. So you were like, when you got criticized for being dirty at the beginning, you're like, have you listened to uh, Red Foxes? You got to wash your ass? Because <laughs> that was the beginning of it. Can I tell a Red Fox story? Yeah, please. Uh, I was with Red Fox the night before he died. No shit. Um, we, we, were, we were both on the Arsenio Hall show. Uh-huh. And, uh, first time I ever met Red Fox, I was super huge fan of him. And uh, so he goes out there in the Arsenio Law show and, and Arsenio says, Red, you have one of the most blue shows in Vegas. And he says, but you've never been bleeped on television. How's that? And Red Fox says, because I know that what, what, what I'm playing. I know the audience I'm playing to. If I'm in Vegas, I know what to do. If I'm on television, I know what to do. And by the way, who them hoes in the green room? <laughs> <laughs> and I was in the green room and all the ladies were like, <laughs> I was like, Red Fox, man, the master. I was like, yo. That's so funny because you like, <laughs> but you were a big fan from when you were a kid. It's exciting when you meet people that you love when you're a kid, when you're grown up, you know, you get yeah. that opportunity. Yeah, well, you know, that whole Dolomite scene, uh, Dolomite and them created a thing where they would play those records at parties. Like yeah. people, people would be drinking and 
here's this, these people on the records talking and my father and them would have those parties and those records be playing signified monkey jumped up. And, you know, it's like, it's just part of my history, you know? Sure. But initially, cause I was listening to the, like, it's very interesting to me that you didn't get into your first music really in terms of what you liked was the metal music. Well, the first music I was really heavily indoctrinated with. I, what happened was I hadn't started rapping yet, but I lived, I, my mother father passed early and I moved to Los Angeles to live with my aunt. And my aunt uh, had a son named Earl who was just graduated out of high school. He yeah. thought he was Jimi Hendrix. My cousin okay. thought All right. He, would, right. he would walk around the house playing air guitar, couldn't play a fucking instrument had scarves tied around his knees and stuff. And he kept the radio station tuned to KLOS and KMET. Right. I couldn't touch the radio station because I was like 15 years old. So what happens is you start to learn metal or rock. Right. Because I tell people, if you work at a Jamaican restaurant, you may not know reggae, but by a weekend, you'll be able to pick out the songs you like. <laughs> Yeah, And then before you know it, you know. So before I know it, I'm listening to Traffic, Mock the Hoople, Jay Giles Band, Edgar Winter, Boston, ELO. Um, and I started to like the heavier stuff, like uh, Blue Oyster Cult. Yeah. Of course, Black Sabbath, you yeah. know, Deep Purple. So right. I'm like, so now I go out and I bought the first Black Sabbath album, yeah. you know? Yeah. And, uh, I would play it over and over and over again. And people say, well, that's the invention of heavy metal will be Sabbath. Yeah. So I was right there. And um, I knew a lot about it. Now, now I'm going to high school with kids. You're listening to James Brown, Parliament, uh, um, a BT Express, Brass Construction, you know, all those kinds of groups. Uh, yeah. So, but I know rock. Right. But then Funkadelic had lead guitars. Put it together. Yeah. yeah. So I was a little bit advanced on it and stuff. And when I finally got a chance to do my first rap album, the title cut was Rhyme Pays. And I used War Pigs as the hook. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, and also even earlier in the song, You Don't Quit, I had guitar hits. <clears throat> you know, so I understood that it meshed if it was done right. Yeah. When I did Body Count, people were like, oh, you're just jumping on this bandwagon of rock. I'm like, no, nah, I've been a rock fan for for years. I, you know, we could do rock trivia. I'll probably beat you. But it's but it's also interesting that first Body Count record. I don't, I don't know. I can't I don't know what year that was. Oh, 1992. But it was like that was like there was a the, the spirit of like rap, gangster rap, you know, and, and heavy metal and punk rock, like the stuff that maybe Rollins was doing, Black Flag mm -hmm. and then Rollins bands. It all kind of goes together in the kind of fuck you mode of, you know, we're you know, we're, we got something to say and you guys are full of shit. Absolutely. And see, when we would go, we were body count was created because when we went to, on tour with Public Enemy, the kids would mosh off of the hardcore, faster rap, like Terranova. Right. So we're in Europe, and, the, and mosh pits jumped off. Yeah. And I'm like, fuck that. I can make a rock band right now, you know, because once you've played in front of a mosh pit, you always want to play in front of mosh pits. It's nothing <laughs> like it. It's the ultimate crowd experience, you uh -huh. know, yeah. circle pits, mosh pits. So I came home, and uh, I had a couple of friends 
Ernie C, who they actually played on my first album, but they were kind of like without a country because yeah. at the time, rock, people were wearing spandex. Oh, right. That was a tough time. Yeah, especially for some kids from the hood. Yeah. The only group that was really kind of breaking that was Anthrax. Right. You know, and Suicidal. And like you say, some of the punk bands in New York hardcore were not wearing it. But we were like, how the fuck do we fit in? So I said, well, look, we'll use the, the speed of Slayer. We'll use, you know, the, the impending doom of Black Sabbath. And we'll use the punk sensibilities of suicidal. And we'll sing about our shit. We won't sing about the devil or, or, or dragons or shit like that that the metal guys are singing about. You know, I, I always said, if you took a, a, a young white kid and you said, draw something hardcore in your notebook. Yeah. They probably draw skulls. Right. <laughs> yeah. A black kid will draw a 357 aimed at your fucking face. Right. Right. So I said, we'll take the metal dark energy and use take it right from the street like it's all right there hell is right outside your door it's in the parking lot motherfucker you ain't gotta end up going off no flying off some fucking where with those fucking castles and shit no yeah. it's right here you know <laughs> yeah and um that was what body count was based on and been on for 30 years i've got uh, that body count cd with the cop killer written on there still i i, I got I got one of those. We thought that was okay. People like, oh, we, you were trying to cross these. I was like, no, because I'm listening to Black Flag. Yeah. Black Flag got a t-shirt with a pistol in a cop's mouth that says, make me come, faggot. Like, what the, f I mean, like, um, th there's groups called Millions of Dead Cops. Yeah. You know, punk band. But I'm going to tell you this. I think the problem with body count was one, and I always say this, is when black people can exchange their rage to white people, that's yeah. a problem. You know, like right now you're watching all these protests and it's not all black people. Yeah, It's white people out there. The people don't want that. They want to be able to say, oh, it's just the Jewish people mad. Oh, it's just the white people mad. Oh, it's just, but when they see unity and, and anger, that's scary. That's scary as fuck. To the power structure. Oh, come on. When grandma's out there on the front line, yeah. what, you going to shoot her with a rubber bullet? They do. Yeah. And people are outraged and they're seeing this. Yeah. So when I was able to yell cop killer and get thousands and millions of white kids to say it, they were like, we got to shut this dude down. This is a problem right here. And went all the way to the fucking president. Like it was, you know, what's amazing to me is that you read the story around that record and Dan Quayle and the police unions and everything else, you know, and the boycott of Warner Brothers pending right. is that that was a big deal. That didn't happen anyway. And, you know, the, now it happens every other fucking day with this asshole. But when it happened with you, it was like a global fucking crisis almost. Dude, you don't even know. I was at my house. And uh, I'll date it. The guys were playing Techno Bowl, a uh, yeah. video game. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And uh, one of my homies yelled, yo, Iceman, they on television. The president is on television talking about you. <laughs> so we changed the channel. Yeah. And it was Dan Quayle. Yeah. And he's got da 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 this is this, this is this. And he said, and Ice-T. And everybody in the room, all the dudes were like, oh, shit. 
oh shit. Now, yeah. with a real president, people don't know what it's like to have a real president, not somebody who tweets all the time, but a real one, say your name in anger. Right. It's not a normal thing like for George Bush to come out and say, blah, blah. You're like, ho. Yeah. Because the minute a the minute the president says your name, the most serious background check of your life happens. Yeah. The the the, the NSA, the CIA, DEA, FBI, all of them. Because the second question from the president could be, what do we know about him? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Can it can't we, can... be like he makes rap records. You know, they want to know your social security number, your shoe size, all yeah. your friends. They he he wants a dossier on you. Like, yeah. who the fuck? This is a new problem. And when that happens to you, you feel it. Yeah. You know, I got tax audited twice that year. I had uh, actual people come to the school and talk to my daughter and ask her, you know, was I connected to paramilitary? Like, they wanted to see if I was really a threat. Like, is the guy that makes Cop Killer planning anything? Huh. And I'm like, I'm making a record. You got ice cream trucks parked in front of your house in the middle of the winter. Like, yeah. what's, what's going on? <laughs> and eventually they realized I just made a record. I, this is not a political agenda, a movement. It was just a song about someone who snapped really under these same situations we're going through now. What if somebody just got so fed up with police brutality that he went after him? But see, you know? that's it. But that's the inter interesting thing. Going back to what you realized about Iceberg Swim is that you know you created a character to document Absolutely. to document a reality, which is the the freedom you have under the First Amendment to create art and to, to say what you want to say. But because you're black and because of you know systemic racism, they're going to try to make an example out of you, the song, and and it becomes a big political effort, and and it, it reveals. The, the actual problem. They manifested exactly what you were talking about and why you were talking about it. Look, I, I learned I learned a lesson from that. Um, and I'm, I, I, on another album, I addressed it. I called it Freedom of Speech. Watch what you say. That's what I love that fucking record, man. I listen to that a lot. The uh, the Iceberg Freedom of Speech record, the one with Jello Biafra at the beginning. Yeah. With you, yeah. And, and, and what that means is, we, Mark, you got the right to say whatever you want, right? But you have to be prepared for the ramifications. Always. If I come out and I said something that would be considered anti-gay, which I'd never say, but if I did, I got to be prepared for the gay movement to attack. Yeah. If I come out and say something anti anti-Semitic, I have to be prepared to be attacked. So you have the right to say anything. Right. But you also gotta be prepared for the ram of it. Like you can't go to your wife and say, Yeah, maybe I just fucked your sister, free speech. You yeah. know, it's like, it's like, it's like <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So I had to learn that. I had to learn that what I do say, I have the right to say it. But people also have the right to get angry. Well, yeah, but yeah, but but isn't that different? I mean, I I understand that too because you know I do comedy. I got friends who get themselves into trouble, and and this idea that there's censorship is not is not fundamentally true because of what you said. You can say whatever you want. You might have to answer for it. But the but the problem with the cop killer was that that was the feds coming down. So you yeah. know that's the government 
basically implying that you don't have the right to say this because you're starting shit and we're going to take you down. And that's different because that's yeah, you're right. Right. That's the fucking government being, you know, we're going to shut this fucker down. Well, they're gangsters. They're gangsters. What they'll do is they'll make it difficult for you. They'll make it uncomfortable for everyone around you. They won't legally be able. They couldn't legally put me in jail, but they'll they'll do stuff like what happened during the whole thing. Like cops wouldn't want to do security. We had to get insurance for different shows. We couldn't get insurance. People just they made us they vilified us and made us taboo to deal with. Right. If you're going to deal with them, then we're not going to deal with you. So they played it all the way out. And people always say, hey, controversy is a way to be successful. I'm like, not really. Controversy might get you known, but it doesn't necessarily mean you're going to take that to the bank and it's going to be a big thing. It could it can ruin you <laughs> yeah, for the rest of your fucking life. Yeah, you, you know? could either be like, oh, that guy's amazing. Or like, that asshole could go either way. <laughs> yeah, so my advice is always, you know, if you're going to... Ice Cube asked me one time, he said, uh, Ice, you got any advice? I said, <laughs> did, he, did he say it like that? Did it rhyme like that? <laughs> something like that. We've been, we've, been, we've been friends forever, and I just said, only say shit you can back up. Mm. If you're going to say something, back it up. If you're going to call a woman a bitch and they come back at you, explain why she's a bitch. Like, now I'm not talking about your mother. I'm not talking about yourself. I'm talking about you, bitch. You yeah. are a bitch. <laughs> and then break it down. In other words, don't say stuff you're going to have to back up off of. Yeah. So I've always been very calculated with my opinions and my points. And I never wanted to say something that I was going to have to go back and apologize for. I try to think before I speak. And uh, I'm, I'm sure I've made mistakes, but. Isn't there a song on this record where you're like, I'm not going to apologize for anything? Which, which oh, that's song? No remorse. <laughs> oh, yeah. No. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. Yeah, that, that's a song about somebody who's just been pushed to the fucking limit. And now it's time for them to take revenge. And there is no remorse because you pushed me to this point where it's going to be the best day of my life taking out revenge on you, you know? <laughs> and I'm very into revenge. People that say they're not into revenge have never got it. <laughs> they don't know that great feeling oh my god it's wonderful i don't i don't believe in harping on it they let people go, oh well it takes part of your soul and all. yeah i'm like no i'm not sitting around lingering thinking about revenge like that but if it becomes an opportunity right if it, if, if it arises yeah i'm gonna take it yeah yeah you don't want to <laughs> you don't want to hurt somebody too much but enough to know that they got hurt a little <laughs> yeah uh so now, when you when you think about what's going on now generationally, like, you know, the the point the finger uh, song on the new record speaks directly to blaming the victim, which is a real thing. And then on the last record, the No Lives Matter song, you know, speaks directly to how uh, the, the dominating paradigm sort of minimizes the voices of, of uh, minorities in general. So when you see what's happening now, like you just said, you're seeing these protests that are multi-ethnic, multi-age, multi-class. Do you feel that that something has changed uh, all of a sudden? Because like in my recollection, when your generation was coming up and you guys were fighting the good fight, you're, it was usually in reaction to to the same shit that was going on now. And then like there were, there, it was different too in the sense that there were really fucking profound, horrible riots in Los Angeles. 
But like these kids now, they they weren't alive for that. Do you feel like they're that this is a wake up call for this generation? Well, I think I think let's let's start let's start with this is another generation. This is not even the millennials. These are like the Z's. These kids yeah. are even younger. And I went out into some of the uh, uprisings or riots. I was in uh, actually in Arizona, in a restaurant, and they're like, "The riot is coming!" Like, like <laughs> you know, you hear the people coming, and the people inside the restaurant start to panic. And I'm like, "I'm going outside. I want to. I want to see what's going on." It was all kids. Yeah, all like young kids, eighteen to twenty-five, white kids. Yeah. And they were out there doing civil disobedience, breaking up shit, wilding. Guys were out there talking to chicks. It's a lot of wildness that was going on, but I think that right now these kids are growing up. All right, let's look at it like this. Yeah. I think Obama had everybody relaxed. Obama as a president made us all feel everything's cool. You know, oh, yo, yo, by the way, yo, we just got a Bin Laden that caught the motherfucker, you know. It's all good, chill. Yeah. And and everybody just kind of like relaxed. And that whole generation just was not really into protesting. It was just like, it looks like our commander in chief has us together. Now there'll be people to say, well, the world was falling apart. But for the masses, it was seemed peaceful. Well, yeah, and know? also they thought that they'd, that some problems had been solved. Right, right. Yeah. Now Trump gets in and he's like panicked, like everyone panicked, you know, build a wall. We're all going to die. This, that and the third. And now this generation is growing up in this, you know, four years of this. They're like, what the fuck? You know, this is from 18 to 22. They're watching this. I, I think that right now what we're going through is another civil rights movement. Right. Uh, my father marched in the civil rights movements in the 60s. Uh, civil rights is racism, sexism. It's all the different civil rights. Right. People have to address it. You know, the cops, we have to address all these different things. And I'm so happy to see the kids really going out there, making some moves. You're going to, from these movements, you got new leaders that come out, you know, young girls, young guys that have become the next generation of leaders. So activism is great. Activism is good. Now, people got to me, oh, well, riots and uh, da, 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 da. I'm like, look, a riot is a tantrum and it's a flashpoint. And shit happens during a riot. The best way to stop a riot is never let it get started. You know, now people like, oh, well, you're agreeing with people breaking shit. I'll say, let me break it down. Let me give you this analogy. Your wife walks into you and says she has a problem. You're playing video games. Yeah. She's telling you about police brutality. Yeah. She comes back in this another time. Hey, baby, let me talk to you about this. You know what I'm saying? I, yeah, I'm too busy. About the fourth time she throws her fucking shoe through your TV set. That's a riot. <laughs> That's a riot. It's like we we tried to take a knee. We're going to burn up some shit. We, yeah. We're going to cause chaos to get attention. Ain't nobody rioting now. That shit's over. You know, no looting, it, 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 but that's a flashpoint of a riot. Don't and, let riots happen. And like, it just seems to me like, for, for me, and what do I know? But it, it, it does seem to me that a, a, because of this president, because of the sort of shameless, you know, prideful uh, engagement with racists and creating division, 
that, you know, even people of my generation, uh, I, I think, are finally waking up and seeing the reality of systemic racism. I don't think they ever really saw it before. Even the progressive people. Thing, thing about dude, see, like I told, tell people, I'm not a Democrat. I'm not a Republican. I believe both wings are on the same bird. I just look at people in general and make a decision on this. This a good person. Is this guy trying to look out for us? I don't I don't get into all that left wing, right wing shit. Yeah, I don't know. I'm probably liberal on some things. I don't know what I am. I just try to be honest to myself. See, people don't understand racism when you start saying, oh, we got to build a wall and, you know, the Mexicans are the problem. That's racism. Like you can't just lump a whole country into anything like that. And you can't really do blacks right now. So let's do Mexicans. Right. And you're triggering the same people. Yeah. You're triggering all these people. Uh, Chris Rock said it best. He says that our presidency is like a pendulum and it swings from one side. So it went from Bush, you know, over to, to Clinton, right? Who's smoking weed. Then it goes from Clinton to son of a Bush, yeah. right? Back yeah. over this way. Then it goes from Bush back to Obama. Yeah. And then it went from Obama. Now it's swung this way to fucking uh, 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 Trump. <laughs> yeah. So he said the only place left for it to swing is Jesus. You know? <laughs> <laughs> it's like, and, and, and when... And because you have a two-party system, when one party wins, the other party festers and hates and just waits for their chance. And um, I mean, I don't know, man. We're in, in a way, we're in our worst time, but I feel like this is a chance for the America, the United States of America, to reset and get their shit together for the next hundred years. Like I hope so. Yeah. Let's get this dialogue going and let's make some changes for the better. Because I believe I, I'm not totally pessimistic. I, I, I know too many great people. I yeah. know too many good people. So you can't tell me everybody's a piece of shit. No, for sure. Now, when you were like when Trump was just, a, you know, a, a fucking clown, did you ever meet him or do a show with him or anything? Well, see, Trump's a very opportunist dude. Like, yeah. He'll hang out with you if it's 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 it, it leverages itself. The closest thing I ever came to Trump, I met I, I walked by him once at the Indianapolis 500. Uh -huh. I don't know if I touched him or shook his hand. He just passed by me. He goes, "There's Donald Trump." I I'm not fascinated with wealthy people. I've met really wealthy people in my life, so I'm like, he ain't my friend. I you know I much rather meet Quincy Jones. You know yeah. somebody. I, I I just I just never had a real connect to Trump. But right. hip hop, we always thought Trump was a baller. You know, we like Trump, get Trump. You know, there's even a rapper named Tone Trump. Like Trump was a term for making money. Right. You know, right. Before we realized what kind of underlying asshole he was. Yeah. And um one time we roasted him. Uh oh, yeah. I went to the roast of of Donald Trump. A Comedy Central thing? Yeah. Yeah. And he was there and I was with Coco and, you know, Coco, she loves taking pictures with celebrities. And I go, there go Trump. And I go, uh, <laughs> you going to try to take a picture with Trump? And she goes, you want a picture with Trump? I'm like, nah. She goes, I'm good. <laughs> I'm good. So, you know, it's like you ain't really no celebrity, dude. Like, why are we even taking pictures with dude? I know, but you know? there's something about that dude that ain't right. Because I was on... 
I, that same, I think it was the same episode. I told the story about you, uh, you know, seeing you at the aquarium on Conan. Trump was the guest before me, right? Mm. And Frank, the guy who was the producer over at Conan, when I you know, I used to do that show all the time, and Trump was in the dressing room, and he said to me, he "said You want to meet Trump?" And I I I had the same reaction you did. I was like, eh, I, don't, "I don't think so. I don't, I don't want to meet him." Why? Yeah, because you like, know, like why? Why do I want to meet him? That's like, you know, you're like, all right, if they told you a guy was a major developer in Miami who built a bunch of hotels and his name was Joseph Johnson, yeah. you want to meet him? No. So the only reason you would want to meet him is if you held him in celebrity, like you felt he was some yeah. body. And I was like, you know, and the more I got to watch him, like one of my friends, I, I don't want to mention their name. Yeah. His father was on The Apprentice. Oh yeah, and uh, he got he got off the first round. And I asked him, I said, "Why did you get off the show?" He said, "Basically, that show is watch your heroes kiss Donald Trump's ass." And he said, I, "I'm not going to do it." And I'm like, "Well, right on." But he said, once he got there, he realized that's what it was. It was like all these people, Herschel Walker, all these greats that we admired, yeah. watch them kiss his ass. That, and, and he was like, "I'm not doing that." I'm already. I'm. I'm a billionaire too. Yeah, that's a good way to read that. That's a good way to see that. Yeah. So, the cover of uh, Ace of Spades is great. Did you know Lemmy? Yeah, I worked with Lemmy. I did um, a song called "Born to Raise Hell" with Lemmy. Uh huh. And uh, you know, I, I've been very fortunate to work with a lot of these metal gods. You know, whether it's 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 Lemmy or Henry Rollins or Slayer or you know. Lamb of God, all these different cats. And I respect them and the fact that they're like, yo, I'm going to fuck with Ice-T. That meant a lot to me, you know, because real artists don't just really collab with people. It's very difficult. Like Dave Mustaine yeah. did a solo on one of our records. Dave doesn't do that. Yeah. Like, I don't, I, don't, I don't even think Slayer has more than two, or th- two collabs with anybody. You yeah. Know? So when I got a chance to work with Lemmy, it was an honor. And he was just mad cool. He was mad. He was, he's as original, you know, like if you say, well, Ice is the original gangster, that's fucking Motorhead. He's the original Lemmy, you know? Yeah. And I had a good time with him. And on the Body Count Records, we try to do tributes to the groups that influenced us. So, you know, on, on, on Manslaughter, we, we covered Suicidal. Bloodlust, we covered Slayer. So I said, let's cover Motorhead. And, and people were like, where was Motorhead influence? I'm like, Cop Killer. You know, those open, Cop Killer sounds like you're on a Harley driving down the freeway. It, Cop Killer doesn't sound like Slayer. Cop yeah. Killer is more Motorhead. Yeah. You know, so we're like any other band. We, we take influences. I was just reading the other day that Metallica, Kirk Hammett said, "Well, I took the, a lick from an Ice T Power album to do to start the solo on Enter the Sandman." No shit. And, yeah, and but but it wasn't even my lick. It was a lick I had sampled from Heart. From, from Heart? <laughs> yeah, Magic Man. <laughs> yeah. From Magic Man. He heard that. I have a song called. Uh, Take it personal. And I, I just sampled that boom boom. And then if you listen to 
into the Sandman when it goes doom, 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 doom. That's how the, the guitar starts. So he says, I heard it on Isis album. I said, I like his term. He said, I got to snake that. <laughs> but all of us, all musicians are influenced by other musicians. I mean, I know comedians too. It's like, you see something, you're like, man, I got to figure out to do something with that energy or that, that, that shit is just dope to me. So if it's done right, you know, people won't ever figure it out. Only the, only the artist knows, yo, I took that inspiration from Sure, this. yeah, yeah. But if it's done wrong, people are like, you ripped them off. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, you got, you got to figure out, like, what it is about, what's inspiring in you, and what do you, you know, how do you put your feelings around it? Right, exactly. So, like, but it's so weird, you know, when I listen to, I just re-listened to some of your earlier, the rap records, and it's like, everything was, it's amazing how stripped down it was, man. You know, oh, like, yeah. like the evolution of hip-hop, I mean, now the layers, the, the possibilities of beats, the possibilities of tracks, it's like, it's a completely different universe, man. Yeah. I mean, when you were doing it, you had like one or two samples, a drum, and then you, and that was it. Right. What do you well, like? Because the, the 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 rapper is the is the main instrument, you know. And I I got that stripped down style from Rick Rubin, right? You know, I would listen to Beastie Boy records. I was listening to LL Cool J records, right? Uh, and you know, like LL's early record, I need a beat, an insurmountable beat, subject of discussion. You're motivated with the age. It's like the beat just is just there. The 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 vocalist is is the machine. It's it's all about the vocalist. It's kind of like a beat is playing and a sax player is soloing over it. Right. That's what a rapper is. It's not about, I'm not Celine Dion where I need all the music around me and I sing in the midst of it. New hip hop is really production driven. It's a lot more beat. Right. And the tracks are so immense and so intense. You really don't care what they're saying. It's, <laughs> right. it's now, <laughs> it's 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 beat and it's sonically driven like i play my records in a club and then they'll play a new record in a club and i'm yeah. like god damn like the it's just so big and it's, yeah it just fucking vibrates it's it's technology yeah 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 <laughs> yeah it, it is kind of amazing the the depth of sound that happens now like in just a, but you don't but on the other side of it when you listen to, to your stuff or, or older stuff in general, you don't need all that shit to, to get right. the message across. You well, know? Two different vibes. If you listen to early metal, it's yeah. thin. Oh, it's really thin. Some of it, yeah. It's yeah. thin. And then if you listen to our new stuff, it's so big and, and it's mixed so differently. Like Will Putney mixes the Body Count albums for stadiums and like you listen to it and it's like, damn, my whole car just filled up. Yeah, and it's <laughs> yeah that yeah. crunch. The yeah, beat is yeah. heavy. So, you know, it's just it's, evolution. It's a, why not? You know evolution. what I mean? If, if that's what, you know, because like people get desensitized too. you know, like now you go back to the old stuff and you can be nostalgic about it and enjoy it. But it, like you, 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 if you're into the new stuff, you want something that's going to beat your brains in, you know, right. you want, you want the full body experience. Well, one of the things I think about the old stuff, it was so experimental, like the 808 drum kick, the bass that everybody uses now that's now synthesized out this big. Yeah. Just a distorted drum that wasn't supposed to be played like that. Right. And we went into the studio and we were always like, let's do something 
different. Like I remember the first time I sent my voice to a lexicon space station, which is a, a drum, a drum effects module. Yeah. And I'm, they're like, well, that's for drums. I'm like, yeah. put my voice through it. <laughs> yeah. So you got a bunch of rap kids showing up in a studio full of lights. We wanted to use all the lights. We yeah. were like, what is that? And that's where all the, the sampling started to come through, the echoes, the reverbs. Yeah. Uh, I remember BC boys say, a VUs in the red, or it may sound thin. Yeah. So they were like, pin the VUs. And the, and the engineers were like, no, uh, no, we're like, fuck that. We yeah. want to do that. Matter of fact, take the tape out, put the tape backwards, and I'm going to rap over the tape backwards. And then you get Paul Revere going, yeah, yeah. Like, so that creativity part of hip hop, early hip hop, we got, you know, I, I like, I, I really appreciate that because I was like, man, people were in there trying to figure it out. Yeah, right. Because you were actual innovators. You're like, let's use that for this. You're not supposed to, but let's do it anyways. And right. now everything, you just got a guy going like, yeah, I can do that. Let me just push this. Okay, we're good. Go. You know, like you guys. They can do it on their phone. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but you guys were creating the language of it. You know, that they eventually just integrated into a button. There's some people that are going to look at the, the first Shelby Cobra and yeah. think that's the greatest car. And there's some people that want that new Pagani or that new Bugatti. You no know? matter what. No matter what. So there is respect for the originators of yeah. this stuff. And there's always going to be love for the newest model that's out. So ain't no hate there. It's just what yeah. it is. Yeah. And how about like so? How like are you guys going back to uh, Law and Order? You don't know. Well, Law and Order is in an interesting zone. What happened with Law and Order was we were uh, filming, and they came into my trailer and said, "We're not. We're done. We're pulling the plug." I had a scene to do that day. Uh, that was in March. Yeah. Uh, right. Yeah. I was supposed to shoot that day too. The, the day they canceled. Yeah. So I was like the hell is going on and then we had a show in new york that got canceled then we had a show in um la that got canceled because carnivore just came out right and then we had 40 shows in europe all got canceled I'm uh, like, no yeah. i'm fucking unemployed right now that was the moment i really realized <laughs> you make money in front of people like your money is not you don't you know you got some residuals coming in but your real bank is being in front of people yeah yeah and i was like wow you gotta so go now, to work it was a wake-up call yeah you know? and um because usually if i can't do law and order i could do body count i got right. two jobs right both of them dead so um from what i understand right now they want to come back uh September, October. Right. I mean, they're, what they're trying to do is create a, a, a safe work environment. Yeah, of course. Remember, NBC Universal, all them, they have a lot of liability. Yeah. If they bring us back and somebody gets sick and then we say, hey, you put me in an unsafe work environment, that could be a mass lawsuit. So right. they're trying to cover themselves. And I totally understand that. I think we're going to move into the world of the waiver. Oh when yeah. You go in a restaurant, you're yeah. going to sign a waiver. When you go to the gym, you're going to sign a waiver. Um I chartered a jet to get from New Jersey to Arizona. I don't usually fly private, but I needed to get out here and I was like 
okay, come on, come on, you know, come up off of some of that bread ice, stop being a cheapskate, but we chartered. And we had to sign waivers that said, if we were to catch COVID, we couldn't try to take, you know, come after the aircraft. Right. So I think that when I go back to work, you're going to have to sign waivers. A lot of them. You still like doing it? Yeah. Yeah. It's good. It's a good bunch of people. It's fun to go to work. Mariska is wonderful. Um, when you're on a show 22 years, it, it just runs like a machine. Everybody appreciates everybody. Uh, everyone is keeping everybody employed. Everyone is, you know, when I'm not on the screen, Mariska is. I love Mariska. I told Mariska, I said, Mariska, I love my wife. I love my daughter, but I've made more money with you, Mariska. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so I don't mind it. And also, as I'm getting older, it's good not to have to be on the road fucking, you know, 10 months out of the year. Yeah, yeah, I, for sure. I can now, I, I, it allows you to have a house, uh, go to work every day. It's a job. Yeah. And I, I like that. I like the stability of it. Yes. Are you friends with Belzer? Man, Belzer and me are like best friends. How's Belzer he doing? Was, Where is he in France? He's in and out of France. Last time I heard from him, he was in Vegas. Uh huh. But that is something. Belzer's a motherfucker. Like, I don't know what. It, when I got on the show, they're like, oh, the rapper, the rapper, he'll be the problem. Yeah. Belzer's smoking weed. Belzer is drinking <laughs> wine. Belzer is cursing motherfuckers out. I'm like, I'm the least problem. Belzer is crazy. And me and him became close because we really quickly realized that both of us were nightclub performers. Right. So neither of us like early calls. Yeah. Neither of us, you know, and I asked Belzer, he says, Ice, you know what I look for in a script? I'm like what? He goes, days off. <laughs> <laughs> I love that guy. I haven't seen him in years. I used to see him over at the comedy store. He's driving around in that big El Dorado he had. Belzer's amazing. I mean, I got so many. Belzer told me wild stories about Miles Davis. About, I mean, he's 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 basically been around all the greats. His comedy is unique. I've seen him live. He's, yeah, he's just. A character, one of Belzer a kind. In Scarface, you know that? I know. Yeah, he was the guy in the shootout. Yeah, but yeah, yeah, yeah. No, he's yeah. a he's a great guy, but he's doing okay, huh? I hope so. I hope so. I haven't. I now I'm gonna have to check on him since you brought his name. Yeah, up, please know? do because I don't think I got. I don't think I got a number for him. Yeah, Belzer's uh, uh, like a sweet guy, and he's like he's the he's the whole history of modern comedy in that guy, and yeah, and he like. He, you know, he really seemed to be learn how to enjoy his life, which is nice, you know. Belzer was, I, I mean, working with him for all those years, like, yeah. I didn't ever know when it was a joke. I didn't know what the fuck was coming. I remember one time he came, came into work, he goes, Ice. I'm like, what? He says, put your dick on the table. Like, I want to show you something right quick. <laughs> what the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> but you almost did it, right? <laughs> like, yo, dude, like, I had to learn... I had to learn. I learned so much about comedy like that. I'm like, oh, that's a that's a joke where the setup is a joke. All right, I can't fuck with you. That's funny. <laughs> it was great talking to you, buddy. Hey, thanks for having me. Uh, hopefully, the people and your listeners uh, don't hate my guts and fuck with me. But uh, yeah, you know, 
No one's going to hate you. There's no reason to hate you. That The new record's good, and you got a lot of respect. Everybody loves you, Ice. That's what's up. Well, thanks, Mark. Thanks for having me. Yeah, man. Take it easy. All right. Peace. Ice-T and me. What a great talk. What a great guy. Uh, you can get Body Counts Carnivore wherever you buy or listen to music. And the single from 2017 that he re-released is called No Lives Matter. That's around two. So uh, now I'll play some guitar, I guess. Right? That's what we do here.